We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. I wanted to jump in quickly to let you know about the release of the audio version of my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, narrated by David A. Knesser. If you want to support the show, you can buy it wherever audiobooks are sold. Links are also in the show notes. Now on to my guest for today, Phil Paluccia. Phil is the founder of Billionaires and Boxers, a unique business service and coaching company that helps entrepreneurs get their message out through podcasting and relationship building. Phil started out playing football, what we in the U.S. call soccer, but had to quit for medical reasons. After earning a degree in architecture and surveying, Phil went to South Africa there he found his skills in real estate in high demand and eventually became head of talent recruiting for the second largest real estate company in Africa, traveling the world in the process. Phil eventually grew tired of life on the road and wanted to start a family, so he started his own company. The first challenge he faced was how to get clients on his own. Rather than going the usual route like cold calling and social media, Phil decided to draw on his experience as a sportscaster. He began interviewing people he thought he might want to work with on his podcast to talk about themselves and to learn more about their background and their pain points. His love of having conversations turned him into an expert on advice in anything real estate. Phil is most in his element when he's helping entrepreneurs share their knowledge and experience with the world so that others can see what they're all about. 
Phil is also a COVID survivor, and he shares the struggles he faces every day coping with the long-term effects of COVID, as well as the hidden gifts it's brought him with insights about working smarter, not harder, the benefits of working remotely, and also finding your community. Now, let's get better together. Phil Palucha, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, and you know, what's what's really cool is, um, you know, we literally just met through this podcast matching thing that I guess your buddy runs, which we'll talk about a little bit. Um, and we'll also talk about your billionaires and boxers initiative, which I think is super cool. And that, yeah, and that you, you've had COVID. <laughs> so yeah. I've got, got a lot to talk about, man. It's uh, been an interesting ride. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but before we do that, I what I'd like to tell everyone or what I'd like to ask everyone is, I'd love to know how you got to be doing what you're doing today. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that first? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, completely by accident. I think I'd be lying if I told you that uh, that I'd ever planned this. <laughs> um, and that would just not be true. So I um, I was, well, let's take it right back. So my career goal was I was going to be a soccer player. That was all I was ever going to be. So um, for those of that fo- football in the England. Or yeah, football over in the UK, yeah, soccer the UK. For, for, yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't want to say football to an American in case you guys think I'm talking about that sport where people just bump into each other a whole lot. <laughs> um, that's not my kind of sport. The ball's the wrong shape for a start and those guys are much meatier than I am. So exactly. um, I think I think they'd break my spine um, in the first quarter. So let's not do that. Um but I, you know, I, I played at a relatively professional level, um, including here in the UK. Didn't get my professional contract at 16, so I moved over to Central Europe and played for some teams there. Um, and that was going to be my career. I was going to be a soccer player, and then I was going to be a manager. That was that was my career mapped out okay. for me. Um, and then in my early 20s, I got medically retired because I kept fracturing my shin bone. Uh, in fact, my uh, club doctor described it as dried spaghetti. <laughs> Um, he was like, that's about as good as your shit is ever going to be. He said like one swift kick and you're going to be out for six months again. Um, wow. okay. Yes. So I had to find something else to do and I, and I had no idea what that was going to be, but you know, having been around sports, I love sports stadium. Oh, stadia, I guess you would say. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to go and do a surveying degree because I'm interested in, in sort of architecture, particularly real estate, archi- sorry, um, uh, real estate and architecture within sport. Um, and then I did three years and then graduated just as the global property market fell off a cliff. So I was a commercial valuation surveyor, just entering into a five year period when nothing was built. Um, so that was money really well spent. Um, (laughs) but I moved over to South Africa. Uh, the intention was just to kind of get three to six months under my belt doing the job, which might help me then kind of become a surveyor in the UK. Um, but there market real estate market is um is pretty far behind in terms of the uk so actually they were more interested in what i knew about the real estate market rather than my surveying knowledge so fast forward two years i'm now head of uh talent and people for the second largest real estate company in africa i am literally responsible for recruitment and talent across africa have no idea how that happened uh, other than the fact that I knew things that were five, six years ahead of their market, I guess. So it was kind of like having the business cheat codes, yeah, um, which sure. I, I use that phrase quite a lot. Um, but 
like most people, when I set up my family, you know, I got sick of the corporate travel. I got sick of, you know, being on a plane all the time and being in different hotel rooms and meeting rooms. And it sounds like a nice lifestyle jetting all over the place. But when all you see is airport waiting lounges and hotels and meeting rooms, it's like, it's like people say, what's Paris like? It's like, I have no idea. I've only <laughs> been there five times this month, but I, you know, I haven't, you know, other than going to the Seven Eleven downstairs to buy some food. I mean, I can't really give you much of an opinion on it. Um, and I decided that I was going to go and set up on my own. Now that's where billionaires in boxes really began because um, I had zero idea how to win clients. No idea because I'd always had a sales team there for me and a marketing team there for me just doing these things. So I had no idea how to do this for myself. I hated the idea of cold calling because, you know, I'd, I'd had that as head of talent, you know, 10, 15 cold calls a day from agencies all trying to say, Hey, we can do this and we're the best at this. And it's like, yeah, I don't want to be that guy. Um, but at the same time, I didn't really understand marketing and I, I, I didn't have the budget to try and compete with some of my larger competitors in terms of SEO and pay-per-clicks and all that kind of stuff. So I found myself in this weird position where I had a handful of clients, one of whom had been my previous employer and the others were competitors of my previous employer that were just quite glad that they now got to have access to some of these things too. Um, you can't scale a business that way. Like you can't just scale a business on referrals. It's it, it's because it's not a tap. You can't turn it on and off. You can't say, well, we re- need really need a good quarter. So let's hope more people refer us. <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. So I decided that I was going to combine it with something that I'd been doing for about five or six years at this point, which is making money from podcasting. Now I'd been making money from sports podcasts. I wasn't ready to leave the world of sport fully. So I'd kind of got involved in sports podcast networks. And by this point, I'd actually grown and sold two of my own sports podcasting networks. Um, And one of the things that came from that is it was an incredible way of building relationships with people all over the world who have a shared passion. So my logic was, I wonder if I can do this for business. Like, I wonder if I can, let's say, create a list of the top 100 clients that I want to work with, right? And instead of cold calling them and trying to get past the gatekeeper or speak to a hiring manager or whatever it would be, like all my competitors, I'm going to go and invite the CEO of that company onto a podcast and build a relationship with them. And the ones that resonate with me, there'll be an opportunity to do something with. And the ones that don't, we don't resonate with each other, that's probably not somebody I should be working with anyway. It's a really um, interesting approach. Like you, pre, and it, you pre-interview your customer. <laughs> I pre-interview my customer, but I wasn't selling them anything. That was right. the joy of it because yeah. I hated sales. So uh, it's like, yeah. I wasn't trying to sell them anything. It was like, here's who I am and what I do. And I would ask them two questions. Number one, who are you and how did you get to where you are? Everybody loves to talk about themselves. So that was pretty easy. That's the reason the why same. I use that question. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> The second reason, uh, the second question, sorry, was um, well, who does your business help and where's it going in the future? And they're paid to talk about that. But it was essentially like the fact find mission that you do with a new client trying to figure out their pain points and trying to figure out what they're doing well and what they're passionate about and, all, and what makes them different. But instead of doing that in a sales call, I was doing that in a very natural, organic kind of flowing conversation. Um it was phenomenal. So within the first quarter of having done that, I went from sitting in my kitchen counter with my head in my hands going, how do I win new clients to needing to hire 25 people full-time globally to help me deliver the work because I had way too much. 
um, including winning kind of like official partnerships with federations in my industry that instantly gave me like exclusive access to a thousand ideal clients and stuff. And it's like, okay, I'm not going to be able to do this on my own. Um, and a few years of doing that, I scaled two businesses doing that. One was an ad agency and one was a talent and search firm. And then more and more people started to come to me and say, how did you do that? Like, how did you win clients? Because it, it wasn't just a client winning thing. It evolved from there to, to being, there wouldn't be a major event happening in my industry anywhere in the world that I wasn't being invited to go and be the keynote speaker. Um, the media were now calling me for an expert view on my feelings on what's happening in the industry. And I, know I was l- laughing about this thinking, <laughs> How did that happen? I mean, You're like, how did I go a f- thought leader, I guess, or something? Yeah, and it was like, well, what what does that even mean? It's like yeah. I, yeah, I yeah, like yeah. to talk, so now you consider me an <laughs> expert. Like, surely that's a dangerous precedent to set. Um, but that that was where I found myself, and and you know, I was going. I remember one occasion I flew over to China. In fact, I was paid to go by the British government they, because they didn't have somebody representing them over there, so they paid for me to go. I got paid to speak at this event, and then we won $150,000 worth of business from the room immediately after the talk. And it was like, this is a much better way of doing business than just trying to call call a company going, hey, do you want my services? Um, So people started to come to me and say, can you teach us that? Now, as a surveyor, that was a really interesting question for me because one of the things I loved about surveying was that you could look at this incredible stadium you could boil it down into a calculation x amount of steel plus x amount of bricks plus this amount of glass plus this amount of man hours equal this incredible building and i was so busy enjoying the ride that i hadn't really stopped to kind of figure out the blueprint of to why it was working um so that was an interesting challenge on my own to to do that with a handful of of clients who i i really trusted and we'd work together in different capacities and they were essentially my guinea pigs, bless them. They had a lot of success from it, but I was I was very aware that I went into it saying, I will do this for you, but I can't promise you it's going to work because I don't really know why it works for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we reverse engineered it, designed this whole process and, and thus Billionaires in Boxes was born. So it went from a podcast to a radio show to a TV show to live events to now we're doing our first movies as soon as we can move again after COVID. Wow. Um, but it's all about empowering business owners. That's, that's really kind of where, what, what gets me out of bed is, you know, I've been that guy who was very good at my job, but still had a roller coaster business because I didn't understand all the marketing stuff. And you, you often find when you speak to entrepreneurs that that's a real pain point of theirs is they're actually really good at what they do and they have some incredible ideas and a real voice, but not enough people know, like, and trust them. Um, 100%. And I, I love helping people overcome that. You know, I want to put, you know, we are the spotlight, essentially. We are the stage. We put you on that stage. You can share your voice and those who resonate with you will work with you and those who don't won't. And both of those things are incredible. Whoa. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm with you. I, I have an engineering background, so I. Oh, so you get it. I get it. Like this, I actually, it was a, this guy, Phil, Phil Hughes who's actually from the UK as well. He he's turned me on to this thing called uh marketing for devs which and I don't remember the guy who did it but great real like program but it's literally like yeah. catered towards oh so you're a technical person this is why marketing's important you know. Yes, and, I love that. You know, and and I've got an MBA so I kind of know 
but I, I mean, it's, you have a certain like attitude about the world and mm -hmm. I would just rather build stuff, create. I mean, I love creating. Yep. And I can do the operational stuff and, you know, like, okay, we can build it. I've built like, you know, millions and millions of things, but boy, that marketing and sales stuff. It sucks. And it really sucks. And it's hard. It's really it is. hard. And and you've got all these gurus out there. like the, I call them these fake shakes and Instagram coaches and stuff yeah. that are like, I can teach you how to make eight figures. And it's like, well, how come you're not doing it then, Einstein? Yeah. Or how is it that you're making more money from your coaching business, teaching agencies how to run an agency? Why don't you have the number one agency if you're so good at running agencies? Yeah. Um, and, and the thing that really bothers me about all of that is that there, there's a money-making opportunity there. And, and, and so many people are focused on making money out of, out of the pain point rather than trying to solve it. Um, I'm actually quite anti-social media. Like I, I had to shoot somebody down the other day. Like I was on this radio show and they said, um, Phil's a social media marketing expert. And I said, Oh, that was like a cheese grater. Like, don't ever call me that again. That was dirty. Yeah. Um, I detest social media. I, I have to do it because it's a part of what we do. But you know, my, my strategy is not to be, you know, be trying to sell something via a 30 second sponsored Instagram or Facebook post. Like that's, yeah. I don't even do that stuff yeah. for me. It's all about relationship building. Relationship building is at the heart of absolutely everything you do. And if you're in collaboration and partnership with the right kind of people, you can help each other to succeed. But you're never going to find the right partners and people to collaborate with if you don't build relationships with people because you're not going to know whose message you resonate with, you know, whose business ideals and visions you, sh you share goals with. Like you, you don't know any of this until you, you speak to people. And you know, during the COVID period, I mean, we'll touch on COVID in a little bit, I'm sure. But during the COVID period, more than ever, you know, we've seen a real upsurgence in our work because people are suddenly going, we don't know how to build relationships without seeing people face to face. We don't know how to do this without going to an exhibition or event. How do you do this digitally? Whereas for me, you know, I learned how to do this digitally because I had a young family and I didn't want to be jet setting all around the world going to these events anymore. So you know, funny example, I, I spoke at this event in Africa for about five or six years in a row, uh, this big exhibition. And the networking piece was always far better than actually going. I mean, That's I never really learned all that much, <laughs> if I was honest. Um, and, you know, we had a couple of exhibition stands sometimes, but they were, we kind of broke even, like they weren't really very profitable for us. So what I started to do instead was before and after the exhibition, I would interview all the keynote speakers and the main exhibitors that I wanted to speak to. But instead of just having five, 10 minutes to speak to somebody on a stand and then swapping business cards and never speaking to each other again, I was having an hour on a podcast to build relationships with them. So actually it was far more beneficial. I was getting much more work out of it, building much better relationships and I didn't have to go. I mean, this was, this for me was a real revelation. It was like, okay. And the funniest thing was, this is a true story. I got a phone call. I won't name it. I was about to actually, it might get in trouble. But I got a phone call from one of the major newspapers in Johannesburg to ask me my expert opinion on an event that I hadn't even gone to. <laughs> I love it. Because they'd Googled all the speakers from the event and found that they'd all been on my podcast. And they were like, well, he must know what he's talking about. Let's go ask him. Yeah. No, that's so I was I, I was an expert on an event I didn't even go to. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's the power of like spending the time to get to know someone. I mean, I agree. You know, I, I you know, I, the best part of an event going when we could go to events 
was the hallway conversation. Just like the Definitely. best part of a meeting for me is after the meeting or like the, you know, the little, little side conversations that are in the hallway. I mean, I think that's the reason, part of the reason that, you know, everyone's saying, oh, COVID's going to change the way we work. Everyone's going to be remotely working. You know, that's going to spike and then it's going to go back to we need to interact with people. I mean, yep. we have to be in the same room and yeah, maybe we don't travel as much and yeah, maybe it's, but like the other day I was with one of the clients that I work with and, you know, we were socially distanced in a conference room going through some copy. We're writing, we're rewriting the front page of the website and going through the copy and we're like going through the process and we're in the same room and we're going mm -hmm. through it and we're spending a couple hours, you know, here and there or whatever. And he looks at me, he's like, we could never have done this online. And I'm like, well, what do you mm -hmm. mean? He's like the, the energy between us and what we're writing on the whiteboard and we're like looking stuff up and we're taking a break. It just, the, the feeling was better. So, you know, the flip side to that, I guess, is that we we've been able to, so half the battle with clients and stuff is that most people limit themselves geographically. Right. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to find their ideal clients within a 60 minute drive of where they live or where they work. Right. And if you think about how many people there are in the world, that's such a small catchment area mm -hmm. to be trying to find your ideal clients, which is why we all as business owners end up working with some clients who are amazing and some clients that we really wish we hadn't bothered. Um, <laughs> really? How but, did you know? <laughs> well, do, do, but it's true, isn't it? We've yeah. all been there but i guess the, the thing with being able to to work um online and, and remotely is you know i'm based in the uk at the moment we have one client in the uk just one and they're about four or five hours from me and we've never met face to face right um the vast majority of my clients are north america uh africa southeast asia new zealand and australia and you know, that we, we will probably meet at some point, but it's not a prerequisite to working together. Um, the, the attitude that they show is we would rather work with a leader in the field than a leader in our local field. And my attitude is I would rather pick the can, the, the clients and, and, and people that I resonate with far more than I would just somebody who's, who's local. And I, and I include recruitment in that. So since COVID happened, I've recruited in five different countries, four different continents. Um, and I love that because I don't want to hire the best people 60 minutes from my office. I want to hire the best person for the job, no matter where they are in the world. And my attitude is always, well, why can't I simultaneously grow in North and South America and Europe all at the same time? What's stopping me from doing that? And then when you start looking at, well, it's physical presence, it's hiring people, it's who's going to manage them, it's all this kind of stuff. But if you hire people who resonate with your journey and they are self-motivated people, like I don't really manage my team. I am more mentor my team because they don't really need that kind of management. They don't need me to say, where are you? You weren't there at five past nine. Like we've gone from a complete time-based currency, which is how a lot of people operate, to an exclusively results-based currency. So I don't care whether you do your entire week's quota in three hours in one day. It does not bother me, provided we hit this, and that means that this department can do Y. It really doesn't affect me, which gives people the flexibility to be able to work how they want, where they want. You want to stop in the middle of the day and take your kids to the park? Great, go do it. It's going to make you a far happier and more successful and productive person. So, um, I get, I do get what you're saying, and I certainly, I'm a hugger. I definitely miss people. I, I, I am, I really do miss that kind of energy from people. But, um. I agree. 
in the same in the same token, this has actually made it far easier to do business with people internationally because even the people who never would have had that mindset on their own, they've been forced into that. They've been forced into, well, if I'm going to have to work with somebody, why am I working with somebody who's just down the road when I can't see them just as much as I can't go and see the guy in the States or I can't go and see the guy in Europe? I might as well just choose the person that's best for the project. Yeah, I mean, f- fair enough. And I, and I I do agree with you that that has accelerated a lot of this sort of stuff. And and I think if you do find the right people and you have the right alchemy about it, it, it mm-hmm. does work. And, and I, you know, I'm with you. Like, I love kind of being in the same room with people, although I'm a me too. I'm an I'm a kind of an introvert that way. So I like a little bit of it. And a lot of it's just like, OK, I can't handle it anymore. Um, yeah. And, and I do like the like the attitude about like, I just want to work with the best people or the best fit. I think the best yeah, fit is the best sort of, fit is, is good. Um, Absolutely. And yeah. Okay. I can see your point. And, and again, like even before COVID majority of my, my client work is kind of remote. You know, we'd get together every once in a while, which yeah. I think is a nice, I think it's the automatic guys, the guy who founded automatic, who's got, 1500 people all over the world they don't have an office but every quarter they their team would get together then every year the whole company would get together and i think yeah you know again like how do you and he, his attitude is the same way i just hire the people that are the best fit that do the best job doesn't yeah. matter where they are so 100% i love that yeah so uh so speaking of covid <laughs> yeah COVID. Uh, you actually have covid or recovering yeah. from covid yeah so i'm recovering from covid so i kind of caught covid um sort of mid to end of may um i wasn't hospitalized i was uh, uh i was gonna say i was lucky i don't feel very lucky at the moment um but i was lucky that i wasn't kind of one of those people who ended up on a ventilator in hospital i mean i i, I feel awful for those people because i mean even what i went through was horrific enough um but for me it was more like five to ten days in bed recovering from this thing and it just it was a horrific feeling and, and, and to get through that was 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 it, it was a challenge on its own um but i guess i never knew anything about long covid or long haul covid as they're calling it now and and i'm definitely suffering with a lot of that you know i've been in and out of hospital since having covid not during the initial virus but the after symptoms in fact for me the 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 recovery period has been worse than the actual virus um so the virus for me was just sleep it off you know try and keep some fluids down, try and eat something because I was struggling to keep things in and, um, you know, ignore the fact that I felt like I had somebody constantly pulling the tightest belt around my ribs that you could possibly imagine. Oh, wow. um, but afterwards, you know, I literally start every day with about 20 to 30% energy. Um, there are some days that I literally have to just clear out my entire diary because I have such chronic fatigue and I have a you know migraine and I've still got this pain in my ribs down the left-hand side, which the doctors think is inflammation of the muscles in between my rib cage. And um, it's not nice. It's really not nice. And and I, I actually found comfort in joining a long-haul COVID uh, sufferers group on Facebook, of, of all things, having watched a 60 Minutes Australia um, piece on it. And I found comfort in that because I, this is a true story. I literally went in and I was like, okay, here's all the things that I'm feeling. Can somebody tell me if anybody else is feeling this? And to just have like hundreds of people from all around the world going, you've just described what I'm feeling to a T. Wow. Here's some of the stuff that I found that helped. And we've all kind of been supporting wow. each other. 
um, has was actually a sense of comfort on one hand. Uh, on the other hand, it was also quite scary because there are some people who are six, seven, eight months in and still kind of feeling these things. Um, now, everybody's different. Everybody has their own kind of health complications, and, and, and I get that. Um, but, you know, I, I, I did have to, since May, I've had to completely redesign my business, um, which is a large part of why I've been recruiting so heavily as well, because, you know, we were saying off air in what I like to call the virtual green room that, you know, I'm a workaholic by nature. That's, you know, I love, yeah. I love my work and, yeah, and, yeah. and I will quite happily work 10, 12, 13 hours a day comfortably. And I don't have the energy for that. I mean, some days, a good day is probably two to three hours at the minute. Um, and that's, that's literally me done. And some days that's not even possible. Whoa. So, uh, I've had to completely change my diet and my lifestyle. I'm on an anti-inflammatory diet at the moment. You know, we were saying again earlier, I've lost 25 kgs since, since catching COVID in, in May. Um, so I've lost a lot of weight. I quite like that cause I put some weight on, um, and it was like the most intense diet without actually needing to do anything. Um, yeah, it's kind of so, like so, uh, the the devil wears Prada. The, the the best line out of that I just loved, and you know, they're talking about the, the, these two interns or whatever, and she's like, "Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm one flew away from my ideal weight." <laughs> You're like, "Yeah, it's uh, so true." <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. Do you know what? It is so true, though. I mean, yeah. I, that's the one part of this that I actually quite like. I intend on keeping it off. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It was also like a complete reset of my diet and, and, and eating far healthier. I mean, I'm I'm trying to prop up my immune system. I'm, I'm drinking like a cabbage, celery, ginger, and carrot juice like four or five times a day just to try and keep nutrients inside my body that are, that are going to be doing some good stuff for me. I'm doing intermittent fasting, so I'm only eating for eight hours of the day. And yeah. Yeah. fasting the rest and, and just trying to do everything I can to, to get these, these symptoms under control. Yeah. You um, should, uh, you should look at into Turkey tail mushrooms as well. Oh, that sounds good. I haven't heard that. Yeah. So, um, my, my wife, my late wife, Jane, she had leukemia. She, mm, she sorry, passed, brother. yeah, she's, she's passed on. Uh, she passed away three and a half years ago. I, I talk about so her all the sorry time. For your loss, yeah. Thanks man. She's great. I mean, she inspired the book, the entrepreneur ethos, of course, obviously inspired the podcast as I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, one of the things that she did while she was going through her chemos and leukemia, we actually, and you got to look, look up, um, the study, but there's actually a study on turkey tail mushrooms on how it boosts your immune system. Wow. And and does help. Definitely do that. Um, a lot of, a lot of mushrooms there along with the psychedelic effects of mushrooms, of course, there's that part of it that people are looking at, but there's a lot of good anti-inflammatory, uh, immune system boost um, that's been proven and there's studies. So, but, but again, look, look into it, but that was one thing that, that helped her just cause she had all the chemo. I mean, it's a sort of similar thing, like a lot of inflammation cause of chemo cause the body mm. is like rebuilding and shedding and stuff. And so then mm. what one thing to, to just as an aside, so not I will an definitely check that out. <laughs> yeah, no, no, seriously. Thank you. It, yeah. it's a, I will definitely, I mean, at the minute I'm trying as you can imagine, I'm, I'm practically rattling of a morning because I'm taking so many vitamins and supplements and stuff, just trying to keep my body in a in an interesting place and um, speed my recovery. I'm definitely getting there. Like I'm I'm feeling better every single day, um, but it's it's not. I'm usually somebody who will like sleep an illness off and then I'm fine again. Yeah. Like this is this is taking a real while to shift, and and I'm 
if I'm really honest, even though I'm taking good care of myself, I still feel like I'm probably talking months rather than days or weeks at the moment. Um, certainly seems that way from what you've described and yeah um, it's not it's not very pleasant but you know in, in a weird way it's it's helped me because the, the business is doing fantastic at the moment we, we are working with some amazing clients but i guess for a long time people have been saying you need to do more with your coaching you need to do more with your coaching you need to do more with your coaching and i've been so focused on our service-based business um in terms of the the talent side of our business but also the podcast service agency because we actually do business podcasts for people that Mm -hmm. we do their guest booking we we do everything like we spoon feed you we design the strategy I, i literally show you how i made money with this and just do it for your business um but for many people you know they they don't want to do that they kind of want the coaching element they want more one-on-one time with me kind of helping them work out the strategy they want to learn how to do this rather than just have my team do it for them right um and covid really forced me to take that more seriously because if i wasn't going to be able to commit to 10 hours of doing stuff all day every day i was gonna have to you know maybe have three hours a day then two hours of those will be one-on-one sessions and one hour of those days will be group sessions where people can come and ask me questions and I can do one to many. Um, and that was more kind of a, more of a a time efficiency thing. It's like, okay, if I don't have as much time to play around with, I'm going to need to redesign this business accordingly. And it's had a phenomenal effect uh, on the business. You know, we are working with, with clients all over the world that I, I couldn't have dreamt of working with before. Um, I'm now hosting my own radio show again, which is awesome. That's you know, Somebody asked me to do that on a radio station called Inspire Radio. Big shout out to them. Yeah. Um, global, global online radio. Yeah, yeah you should. That, notes, yeah. You know what? They're awesome, dude. I mean, we're supposed to be in Cape Town recording a TV series right now, believe it or not. Wow. My own TV series. But um, Wow. Yeah, COVID had other plans. Yes. So at the moment, the UK is actually still banned. As of today, is banned from entering South Africa on the, even their latest list. So I don't think I'm going there this well, side yeah, of Christmas. No, no one's letting anyone from the U- good old US of A anywhere because we're like no. out of control with the <laughs> chaos of what we do. The whole, the whole thing. I mean, the US and the UK is actually probably quite similar in terms of how we handle it. Like, I don't want to make this conversation political, but. I remember laughing recently. I was watching um, Prime Minister's speech. Uh, Boris Johnson was doing a speech in the Houses of Parliament. And about three weeks ago, he said, we're releasing the restrictions. You need to help the economy. Go and eat more. Out, go out and eat more. Go back into retail stores. Um, you know, go back to send your children back to school. Go back into the office. You know, we need to get back to a sense of normality. And then about two weeks later, he did another talk and I'm paraphrasing, but it essentially said, why did you listen to me? You stupid people. (laughs) Now we've, now we've had another spike. Um, It's all your fault. We're going to have to go back into lockdown again. And we're going to be doing this for at least the next six months. And I remember just watching it and I'm in this group with a lot of my friends who are, a lot of them are journalists as well. And we're all in this WhatsApp group going, did he just essentially say, you know, you shouldn't have listened to me <laughs> like well by listening to me you've made this much much worse <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's so funny because um i mean yeah we, so everyone generally right just they want to live their life they want their family to be happy they want to be successful they want to be safe mm-hmm. i mean like generally like we all no matter what side of the spectrum you're on right we all kind of have the same goal Yes. When it gets politicized to the point where like you don't listen to scientists and people are like, "Well, does a mask <laughs> really help?" And you're like, "Okay, 
it just gets insane. It, it, mm-hmm. and, and it's these, it's, and I always like to say it's like the guardrails, right? So we have these guardrails in society for a reason. Like when you start bumping up against the guardrail, you know, like that's why there's guardrails on mountain roads. Like you hit the guardrail, you're like, get back on the road, right? Yeah. 100%. <laughs> and so these guardrails, they, they're there for a reason. And, and again, yeah, you know, who knows? There's certain things you got to make your own assessment. But like, the reason why we have like the Department of Health and we have the yes. CDC and we have the World Health Organization, as flawed as they are, as p- potentially political as they are, they set these guardrails up so that as citizens of the world and our communities, we can kind of mm-hmm. make a decision on, okay, what should we do? Generally, no one wants to like see people die. Generally, no. we all just, you know, I mean, nobody, right? So it's so funny that like they play the kind of political thing because- here in the U.S., what had happened when all this stuff first happened, um, you know, they did this big stimulus where they just gave everyone a check, right? And, you know, <laughs> right. it staved off this economic catastrophe, which, fair, I mean, generally a good idea. And and I actually will give the, our Federal Reserve a little credit. They learned from our 2008 recession. That which they is just, important. Which was, su- I mean, they, they are really important to learn the lesson of make sure your fiscal policy just like, mm-hmm. you know, do whatever you don't do what you did in 2008. And I don't even know who runs it now, but he did a, he's doing a good job. Yeah. But the political BS of oh. we're not going to get another stimulus before the election. <laughs> Just it's like, you know, Andrew Yang, who, who who's over here, said like people are suffering like real people are mm-hmm. suffering and dying. And all you all are figuring out is like who to make look bad. And yeah, I, I, I mean, that's one of the things I really dislike about politics is it's yeah. kind of a um, it's not who has the best idea. It's who can argue that the other guy has the worst idea. Exactly. Um, and, and it's like all of you are so busy pointing out the flaws in each other's arguments that nobody's actually coming together to find a solution. Right. Um, same with the opposition leader here in the UK. You know, he yeah. he was actually called out on a politics uh, news program recently <laughs> where they essentially said, so you agree with everything the government do until it doesn't work, at which point you criticize them. Is that is that essentially your stance? <laughs> And it was like, I mean, people people are just not not falling for this anymore. But the the scary part of that is that it's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You know, you you now have people who are getting so disillusioned with politics. It's like, well, I'm not going to listen to them. So when they're telling me to wear a mask, screw them. I'm not listening to the government anymore. Right. Well, you know, as somebody who's recovering from this and is a you know a relatively fit and healthy guy in his thirties, I'm telling you, this thing is very real. So you can dislike the politics, you can dislike what the health organizations are telling you to do, you can dislike the fact that they're taking away some of your civil liberties and freedom. Um, and and I don't blame you for disliking those things. It could just well be an overreaction from our governments. But I'm telling you, this illness is very real. So don't just kind of disregard that because you don't like the politics behind it. Yeah. And and again, and it's also like, what's the downside? That, that, that That's the way I always think of this. Okay, they want me to wear a mask. What's mm-hmm. the downside if I wear a mask? To me, nothing. There's no, no there's really no downside, right? No. Nope. What's the upside? Well, I could prevent the spread and et cetera, et cetera. Now, I know for a fact that if you're a cancer patient and if you visit mm-hmm. cancer patients, they make you wear a mask because- Cancer patients can get sick a lot easier. They're prone to infection. Yeah, prone to infection. So they've got the gown up. They've got the the exact protocol that we use to prevent 
COVID spread is the exact same protocol that they use to prevent cancer patients from getting sick. I know this. So this because, that's not new. No, that's the point. It's isn't been it? going yeah. on for decades and decades and decades, and they know it works. They they mm-hmm. absolutely know it works. So when you look at the spectrum, does a mask work? Does it not work? This whole thing, you're kind of like, well, if we're all cancer patients, which we mm-hmm. can make the assumption that our immune system can't handle this pathogen or this virus, then it makes total sense. There's, there's no, it does, yeah. yeah, it's rational, right? And so that's sort of the way I kind of think about it. And, and, and what's really interesting is that there's a lot of people who, you know, the, the civil liberties thing that you mentioned, and, and actually what was interesting about your business, I, you had to change the way you do business because you got it. You, you're yeah. the boss. You needed to now be like, I can't be a workaholic. How mm-hmm. am I going to adjust? Sounds like you've adjusted in a great way. A lot of people should actually take what you experienced minus the COVID and yeah, go through that minus process. The COVID, preferably. Right? Go through that process. But, just, but it's funny because I like as I learn, I teach my clients what I learn. Mm-hmm. So I've now become far more efficient in what I do as a result. So that's now what I'm teaching my clients. So, you know, they they've you know, one of my clients in New Zealand, for example, he's added he's probably six times his business quite comfortably and is, is busy recruiting himself to be able to keep it with demand based on the work that we've done together since COVID, because I've not only been doing his podcasting with him, I've gone to him and said, right, here's how I became more efficient with this. Here's how, you know, I, I was able to, to cut through the stuff that didn't need to be there. And we're just focusing on core business activities now. Um, and actually to be in a position where I can tell you that I'm probably working at least two thirds less than I was before COVID, but be about four or five times better off as a business. Um, is an incredible place to be. And, and, and I, I almost look back at what I did and was like, why did I work so hard? Like that was, that was a really bad idea. Um, but when you're in it and you're so busy sort of doing it, you need a period like this where you, you yeah. take some time to reflect upon your business and, and you look at how you can do things differently. I mean, one of my clients, for example, he's based in Australia. And he's based in Melbourne. And there are about, I think, 27,000 agencies that do what his business does in Australia. And about 12,000 of those are in Melbourne. Wow. Um, however, however, in the Middle East, as in across the entire Middle East, there are less than 1,000 agencies that do what he does. So we've now started doing podcasting in the Middle East for him to meet clients out there. Not only is he winning clients far easier, they're prepared to pay him five to 10 times as much as he would have been paid to do it in Melbourne because his skill set is so much more valuable in those areas. And they never would have thought to do that because it was like, well, we have to be at this event because our top five competitors in the region are going to be speaking at this event. And we have to go to this networking meeting and we have to go to this and we have to make sure we're sponsoring this event. And it's all about who can take the client to the best rugby game or cricket game and spoil them afterwards because it's all about that customer experience and then treating the clients so well that they don't want to leave you well they've just cut out all of that unnecessary nonsense now and are just dealing entirely on what is the service and the value add that you bring to a client and where are they going to pay you the most to be able to do that so not only are they earning so much more money than they were before their clients are so much more appreciative because the, the, the clients in melbourne know that the market is competitive. So it's a case of, are you going to do this because this agency said that they would? 
So they've got rid of all of that unnecessary drama in their business and have gone, fine, you guys all scrap over this one pond where there's a handful of fish and so many rods in it. There's a big blue ocean over there that no one's fishing in. I'm just going to go focus over there. Yeah, I mean, that's really, really, really astute because uh, a, a lot of times, you know, when I help people with PR and marketing and about, you know, what, what, they're trying to tell a better story. It usually goes down the track of, okay, we're just going to do what everyone else does as opposed yeah. to, you know, let's fish in a place where there's no more, you know, where there's nobody fishing to, to use yeah. your analogy. Um, and it is interesting that <clears throat> sort of COVID in this situation we're in sort of accelerated a lot of that. Mm. And you see this with every kind of business, which I find so fascinating how all of these trends were already there. It's mm -hmm. just this accelerated it by an order of magnitude or more. So you'll see like uh, restaurant delivery or on-demand, on-premise, online situations like in the mm -hmm. retail 3.0 space, agency work, um, any kind of uh, you know event where the it's great that you could you know be in you know be together but what happens if you can't i mean nonprofits yep. is even better like i have I, I sometimes work with nonprofits, and they're the worst at changing because yeah. their mindset is just it's the weird they're a scarcity mindset as opposed to an abundance mm. mindset and them trying to figure out well you can't do your big gala which is where you get 90 percent of your donations now what? <laughs> well, actually, I, I'd raise the argument the other way. I'd say you can do your big gala. Now you just don't sell tickets to the people who are in your local area. You can sell tickets globally and attract a much wider audience. I, and, and you know what? Exactly. And so I have a friend that actually did that and mm. ended up raising more money. But like they had to really scramble. shock horror, much yeah. bigger catchment area, and they made more money. It's amazing how that happened. Yeah, and, what a coincidence. Yeah, what a, I mean, <laughs> shocking, right? <laughs> you know, expand the pie. So. But, yeah. but the attitude, a lot of, I mean, a lot, you know, in the nonprofit world, a lot of nonprofits are just going to go away because they can't adjust to the times. Well, it's so funny you should say that because my mantra essentially became adapt or die. Exactly. Um, exactly. And, and I was aware that hampering after, you know, I've met people in recruitment who are like this. So I met people who are in recruitment pre sort of 2000s when the job boards and electronic adverts and all this kind of stuff came out. Yeah. And you'd speak to people and they'd be like, I remember when I used to fax five resumes over to a company and they'd hire four of them. It's like, okay, old man river, that's different now. So adapt yeah. or die. You know, exactly. like, what are you hoping that the fifties are going to come back around? Like <laughs> what, what, what is it you're hoping for in this situation? It's like the dot-com boom and you're still going, no, nope, the internet's a fad. It's yeah. going to be here for a few minutes. And, yeah. But you know what? The funny thing is that there are lists of very intelligent people who've said stuff like that. Oh, in, yeah. In every advancement across technology, there were people who said radio won't work, television won't work, nobody wants that box in their house. Um, you know, uh, online stuff's not going to work. Selling products online isn't going to work. Have, getting rid of your shop front isn't going to work. There were always people that said that, but the people who take advantage of it quickest and first, whether they are the best service or not, they are the ones who last. They're the ones that make their money. It's it's like it's not about the service and it's not about the quality. It's about how quickly you get across that finish line. Like think of it as a as a as a as a race, like an Olympic race. Okay. You can have the ugliest running style possible. You know, that kind of like Rachel from Friends kind of style where you're just kind of <laughs> flailing 
you could yeah. do that. But if you finish second, all the history books are going to remember that you won silver. You finished second. That's all they remember. They don't remember that you ran like a turkey. Right. Like that's because that's not important. The, the, the important thing is where did you finish? And the sad thing that I find with so many businesses is using that analogy of a race, fear stops so many of them from even entering the race. And it's like, how crazy is that? Like you, you're going to miss out on all of these opportunities, not because you didn't win the race, but because you didn't trust yourself and back yourself enough to even enter the thing. Whoa. Yeah. Well, Phil, I think that's a great place to end. That's sage advice. And, um, you know, hope you get better soon. I know it's a long journey. Um, I really, Thanks, brother. I'm yeah. definitely on the path. Definitely yeah. on the path. I really enjoyed our conversation. A lot of good stuff. And if you're a, any kind of business owner, this is the one to listen to, to get that mindset, the growth mindset and how to like, you know, enter the race and, you know, you win the race, but again, you can't win a race you don't enter. So hundred percent. Thanks again, man. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learn something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.